it is difficult to live in America and talk about Jesus. And yet, as I write, I run into Jesus around every corner. Jesus is the phantom at the heart of every story I read. And he's the object of obsession. He is the the silhouette that people bleed at. He's the name called out in the dark. My undergraduate art degree required a written dissertation in addition to a final exhibition. After writing about half a thesis on ethics and autobiographical visual art focusing mainly on Louise Bourgeois and Tracy Emin, I scrapped the idea entirely and decided to start from scratch. I was writing my original dissertation as background research for my work, which at the time was focusing entirely on the total dissolution of my mental health and my deteriorating personal relationships. But after being forced to take two years out of school, partly for being mentally ill, but also for being poor, my perspective on both my thesis and my art practice in general shifted. So instead of working through the minutiae of rehashed art history, I laid my attention on the apocalypse. Much to the chagrin of my professors, I wrote 70 pages on the portrayal of heaven and angels in secular biblical apocalypse media from the 1980s to present. Sometimes I would meet with my dissertation professor and she would say, so are you going to talk about art at all? I did, though. I wrote about eight seasons of the CW program Supernatural. I wrote about Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials, both Hellblazer and Preacher, Constantine the television show, and then Constantine the movie. I read Good Omens, and I watched Dominion, and I watched all of the prophecy films. I was drawn initially towards the somewhat inexplicable and seemingly inevitable queerness in these efforts. In almost all, depictions of angels require complications of gender and sexuality, They fall in love with humans, but their love is incongruent with the culture of their origin. They have have bodies, but they do not conceptually relate to them. There is implicit queerness in the structure and portrayal of angels that bleeds into our readings of Castiel's and Aziraphale's. I was drawn, too, towards the ambiguity of heaven. While a not insignificant number of current Americans are earnestly praying for the end of the earth and the finality of their lives, hoping to finally ascend into paradise, secretly gleeful at the environmental horrors and the war and the diseases the rest of us are stumbling through. This idea is resolutely repellent in contemporary media. Heaven is confusing. Angels are alien, flatly moral and immensely powerful. And they are, they are almost all totally ambivalent about humanity. Like evangelists, angels in media are trying to end the world because they do not want to be in the world because they do not understand it. I think of the quote by St. Hilary, at the time of the apocalypse, the angels will finally be free of the great burdens of their ministry. The angels are tired of this world. The angels are ready to avert their eyes from us. If I can editorialize, I really think this depiction of heaven as 
the enemy of humanity, this making of heaven into something cold and alien has a bodily origin, much like our depiction of angels as implicitly queer has a bodily origin. I think hell is easy to portray because hell is easy to understand. I know what it is to hurt, to to burn, to feel sad, to feel lonely, to feel desperate. I know what it feels like to to be in a bad way and not see a way out. In my body and in my memory, hell is something I can understand physically. Demons too feel easy. I know what it is to be tempted, to fail, to resist, to be angry, to be jealous, to be prideful, to be overtaken, to feel like my body is not my own. But in my body, I do not understand and cannot conceptualize the opposite of this. I cannot bring those feelings up in a way that exists within my physical confines. If heaven is the opposite of hell, what does that feel like as a body and why can't I picture it? If demons are feelings of rage or temptation, what are what are the opposite? And how do those manifest as sensations? Heaven is hard to talk about because heaven is really hard to picture. To hurt is to be human and to be human is to be on earth alive. So in secular me- apocalypse media, this is the goal. Humans through grit and blood and tears scrape their way into things staying as they are. Hell does not come and heaven does not consume us. We live flawed and unwell, but alive still. The secret at the heart of these stories becomes more prevalent with every piece of media considered. While it's true that the book of Revelation is filled with blood and fire, it also has a central player, the the Messiah, the Messiah risen again, here to bring the kingdom of heaven down upon us. Jesus. And Jesus does not even get a passing mention in most, if not all, of these contemporary stories because Jesus is fundamentally difficult to talk about. In secular works, Jesus becomes an impossible figure, a glaring absence, an increasingly widening hole at the center of everything. Where is he? Where did he go? I will return to a Philip Pullman book here. His 2010 novel, The Good Man Jesus and the Scoundrel Christ. In the book, Pullman tells the story of Christ, twin brother to Jesus. Jesus is a political radical roaming the wilderness, preaching to the people, denouncing the rich and healing the sick. Christ, on the other hand, is concerned with with all of his brother's behavior, and he chronicles it fastidiously, sometimes cleaning up the narrative to make his brother more palatable. Christ understands the optics of religion. He understands that People need miracles to make them believe, and they need stories that they can remember. Jesus is a man of action, quick to anger and and loose in his words. So who lives on in history's memory? The political rebel or the man concerned with marketing? I like this book because it feels slippery. Slippery in the way that the Bible feels slippery and the way that Jesus feels slippery. Here in America, the difference between the good man Jesus and the scoundrel Christ feels stifling. The black hole in the center of apocalypse stories is that it is easy 
to be angry with Christ and a lot harder to be angry with Jesus. So, so my rage strings uneasily between them, clouding and confused, incandescent. You know, when I think about Jesus, I think here is a brown and Jewish socialist who asked people to turn away from wealth and towards people in need. And I think about a man who was killed for these beliefs. And, <laughs> and everything after that is where it gets really complicated. I live in America, so it is hard to talk about Jesus, and it's doubly hard to talk about Christ. I live in the country of the prosperity gospel that robs people blind. I can walk into any public building and be shot, and I would in no uncertain terms have Christ to blame. In America, Christianity is the reason you are poor. It is the reason you will be shot in the supermarket. It is the reason you will die in childbirth live on a continent where the skeletons of children keep getting pulled out of the schoolyards by hundreds. Christianity, Christianity of, of this Christ is a culture destroyer. It's a life ender, a money hoarder, a slaver, and genocider. Christianity spreads disease, destroys language, robs your home, destroys your God, kills your children. If you are Indigenous or Black or Asian or trans or queer or Jewish or Muslim or a woman or an immigrant, a child, a student, elderly, disabled, sick, or poor, then Christianity is trying to kill you. And it doesn't matter if you love it or not. Today, right the second, Christianity is, is training its sights on your neck. So it's hard to talk about Jesus in this context, the good man, Jesus, and the scoundrel Christ. What is the moral of the apocalypse to a non-believer? God wants to eat you. He has already eaten his own son. The moral of the apocalypse to a believer is that God wants to eat you, but they will be spared from the gnashing of teeth. I was recently sent the poem The New Jerusalem by the poet Franz Wright, and I've been thinking about the lines. Rilke, in one of his letters, said Christ is a pointing, a finger pointing at something, and we are like dogs who keep barking and lunging at the hand. I think about St. Therese and her erotic ecstasies about Christ, about the flaming arrow of his love piercing her body. I think about St. Lucy pulling her eyes out of her head so she could devote herself to a life for Jesus and not in marriage with a man. I think about St. Catherine and the wedding ring she wore made of foreskin, and I think about Benedetta Carlini and her mystical marriage to Jesus acted out on other nuns through lesbian sex. I think about Veronica Giuliani, who ate spiders, and St. Angela, who ate scabs, and Mary Magdalene de Pazzi, who licked open wounds until her teeth fell out. I think about the stigmata, the physical reflection of Jesus's injuries at the time of his death, about Catherine and Rita and Teresa and Therese Newman and Rhoda Wise and women whose bodies bled and bled for a God who they had married. Does God want your hand in marriage? Does God want you to bleed the way he bled? How do I conceptualize a story of a father who kills his son when it is the pain that is fetishized and twisted and turned 
the passion. It's, it's called the passion. Helping and healing and clearing the poor is difficult. It's hard to understand someone on purpose. All you have to do to bleed out righteously is stand still long enough. So I think of the good man, Jesus, and the scoundrel, Christ. And I look at Christ, this world eater, at the black hole at the heart of the apocalypse, this absence, and I watch over and over again stories about humans pulling themselves through despite and without. I do not understand heaven. I cannot understand heaven as a person with a body, and I do not understand the passion or the resurrection. But I am not a believer. And Jesus is not the point of the story. This is All Miracles Are Strange. My name is Liz Hamilton. You can find me on social media under my name, and my theme song is an altered version of an 1888 wax cylinder recording of Handel's Israel in Egypt, one of the earliest known recordings of the human voice. If you'd like to read notes or see images from All Miracles Are Strange, you can sign up for my Substack. And if you'd like to support my work, both this podcast and my studio practice, you can find me on Patreon. Special and sincere thanks to Leshy, who signed up for the $10 tier of my Patreon. Your support is absolutely invaluable to my process, and I am so grateful. Thank you.